Uh, this morning, we're continuing in a series. It's a four-week series that we are doing here at Christ Covenant Fellowship uh, called Family Values. Uh, these are the kind of core values of the church, of, of this local congregation. And so uh, what we want to do is walk through actually value uh, two this morning. Uh, last week, Pastor Brandon talked about the core value of doctrine. Uh, this week, I will be talking about the core doctrine or family doctrine of discipleship. And if, uh, if you're into kind of leadership theory and, and things like that, you know that an organization will typically have a, uh, a mission statement, it will typically have core values, and it typically have a vision statement. So the, the vision is kind of where we're going. The mission is why we exist, and the core values are what anchor us. And so that's why uh, about once a year what we want to do is remind the congregation of our core values, uh, remind the congregation of our mission. If you've sat through our new members class, you know that we go over those documents. And, of course, they're on our website for you to look at if you want to. But uh, we, we think there's value in keeping these things in front of the congregation. And for those of you who are just maybe new to CCF or checking us out, it would be helpful for you as well. Uh, our mission, in case you're curious, and again, you can go to the website and look at it, but our mission uh, is straight from the Word of God. Uh, the mission of CCF is to fulfill the Great Commission by equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay? To fulfill the Great Commission by equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why we exist. That's why we are here. We didn't come up with that mission. Uh, it comes from the Word of God, so we're in good company, of course. And that is why we exist. Our core values then, as I already mentioned, we have four core values. Uh, doctrine, the importance of doctrine and being rooted in Scripture. Discipleship, which we will be talking about today and giving a definition of that. A devotion, being committed to one another and committed to the Word of God. And then finally, our fourth one is deployment. Uh, we want to take those foundations and actually go out uh, on mission uh, for Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. So doctrine, discipleship, devotion, and deployment. As I mentioned last week, Pastor Brandon uh, spoke to uh, doctrine. So if you weren't able to be here, I encourage you to uh, go and uh, on Spotify. Um, we have that sermon available. And this week we're talking about discipleship. So as we start, uh, you say, well, discipleship, what exactly does that mean? Uh, so let me give you the definition that we use here at CCF, and then we will um, look at our passage of Scripture for today and pray. But just as a way of introduction, discipleship, what we mean by that, I'll read it a couple times for you. CCF defines discipleship as following and learning the commands of Jesus while teaching others to do the same. Okay, one more time. CCF defines discipleship. Following and learning the commands of Jesus while teaching others to do the same. So with that definition in mind, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time there in Colossians. I'm going to start uh, in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> I'll give you a second to turn there. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. We'll actually spend most of our time in just verses 6 and 7, but I think it's important to get the context. So I'm going to read Colossians 2, 1 through 7, then we'll pray, and then we'll walk through specifically verses 6 and 7. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, 
and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of fullness of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. In verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for an opportunity to gather this morning. God, I thank you that we've already been able to uh, encourage one another uh, just from uh, meeting and, and seeing smiling faces, God. I thank you that we've been able to sing uh, worship songs to you, God, praise songs to you. God, I thank you that we've been able to participate in communion even this morning. What a great morning already. God, I pray that you would help me as I preach your word, God. May it be faithful to your text. God, I pray that you would help all of us to sit under the authority of your word. Uh, may you be with us in the next few minutes, God, as we walk through what you would have for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, when I have the opportunity to preach, um, I always struggle a little bit with uh, how to maybe approach the particular passage of Scripture. Uh, I'll admit, uh, typically what we do here at CCF, most of you know this, but typically we kind of just walk through books of the Bible. And so in the spring we started, uh, late winter, early spring, we started walking through the book of John. And uh, so it's kind of easy to know what passage you're going to preach because it's just the next few verses up. Um, and so we'll actually go back into the book of John after we finish this series on family values. But for this morning, uh, I knew the topic being discipleship. Uh, but that's it's kind of a broad topic, right? There's a lot that we could talk about. We could talk about the significance of the gathering, right? Which, which you know, don't uh, abandon to gather together. That's an important part of discipleship, whether it's here or in smaller groups. Uh, could emphasize the need for relationships, right? Where uh, I know people have invested in me and I've invested in others and discipleship happens there. Um, I, 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 uh, my background is more education. And so, you know, part of me is like, well, what, what about talking about, the, you know, the training that is needed, the education that is needed? Uh, and as I kind of wrestled through that and was praying through that, I, I just kept on coming back to, I felt like God kept on bringing up, like, but what is the goal of discipleship? Like, what are we really after? Like, those relationships are important. These gatherings are important. The small gatherings are important. Uh, knowledge and education is very important, but th what's the why behind that? And so today, what I wanted to do is just take a little bit of time, based on the Word of God, to say, okay, discipleship, kind of that relationship where I'm growing and, and helping others to grow, and they're helping me to grow, but what does a disciple actually look like? And I think that that's what God has provided for us here in Colossians chapter 2. There's certainly other passages we could go to, but really the goal of discipleship, we, we see it in verses or, or places like Romans 8, 29. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 8, 29 talks about being conformed into the image of the Son. Like, like that's the goal, to be conformed into the image of the Son. Ephesians 4, verse 15 we are to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ, growing into Christ. 
Even here in Colossians chapter 1, we didn't, we didn't read this verse uh, previously, but 128, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. Uh, and so what does a disciple look like? A disciple should look like Christ. Conforming to the image of the Son, being mature in Christ, growing into him. And so uh, that involves then the entire person, right? It's not just knowledge. It's not just our emotions. It's not just decisions that we make or the behavior that we have, but our entire being being conformed into the image of the Son. Let me, let me read the kind of expanded definition of discipleship just to kind of help with this point a little bit more. Um, so I already said that at CCF on our website, we'll say uh, we define discipleship as following and learning the commands of Jesus while teaching others to do the same. And then we continue on to say this. We aim to make disciples who make disciples as we follow the commands of our Lord. Discipleship is our main program or method of church growth. Okay, so like what programming do you have? Discipleship, right? Helping others grow and become like Christ. And we continue. We believe committed relationships that help us grow in Christ-likeness are the most effective way to strengthen our faith and witness to others. And so a disciple looks like Christ. That is the goal. And so this morning, that's what I want to be looking at. Um, so let's uh, look specifically at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Let me read those two verses for us again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the outline of my sermon is really a series of questions that come from this passage. Three main questions. We're going to kind of walk through those and provide some of the answers that the Apostle Paul gives us here from Colossians. So if you want those three questions, i give them to you. Number one, have you received Christ? Okay. So first question, have you received Christ? Pretty basic, but pretty important. Have you received Christ? Number two, are you walking in Christ? Okay. Second question, are you walking in Christ? Some of you might be like, well, I don't know. What does that mean? Oh, good. Question number three, what does it look like to walk in Christ? <laughs> Paul helps us, right? So have you received Christ? Are you walking in Christ? And what does it look like to walk in Christ? Those are the basic questions. We'll, we'll add some more things to that. <clears throat> but if you're like me, I like, I like to know where we're going. All right, so question one. Have you received Christ? Col Colossians 2, 6, the beginning says, Therefore, as you, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay? Um, so if you look at some, commenta some commentaries, they're going to say like, Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is really kind of the heart of the, the whole book. It kind of is a, maybe an umbrella statement over the whole book. Um, you know, some say like everything else leading to that is really the introduction, and Paul finally gets to the therefore, like because of all this stuff, therefore this is what's important, which I appreciate because my introductions tend to be a little lengthy at times, uh, and um, Apostle Paul does that sometimes, which is good. But, but don't overlook the importance of the fact that Paul is writing this book to Christians, okay? So Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, he writes it to the saints, 
All right? Most of Paul's letters, I tend to say all of Paul's letters, they're written to the church. They're written to the saints. They're written to those who believe. They're written to those who have been saved, those who have been regenerated, that conversion had happened, right? Paul was giving them instruction. So even as we start our study on what does discipleship look like, we got to recognize the fact that Paul is calling on believers to grow in their faith, which is what discipleship is all about. Like Paul's letter to them is part of the discipleship process. And we can learn from that as well. It is written to the saints, and he says that you have received Christ. Uh, so what, is, what does that even mean? Well, two specific things I think that we need to look at when we say that you have received Christ, okay? One uh, is propositions about Christ. The other one is the actual person of Christ, okay? So let me explain what I mean by those. Propositions about Christ, that, that doctrinal truths about him, the church, uh, 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 the, the Colossian church had received these truths about Christ, okay? They had also received the actual person of Christ. So you say, well, okay, um, what would have those truths been that they received about Christ? I want to take you to two passages to help us kind of like, what, what is it that they would have received? Um, Paul writes a lot of letters in the New Testament, okay? Um, he had a unique relationship with many of the churches, right, this church, but he had a really unique relationship with the church at Corinth. Uh, if some of you have studied First and Second Corinthians, you know that Paul had this uh, interaction with them a lot. And uh, the church of Corinth actually had some issues. Uh, All churches had probably some issues. But the church of Corinth uh, had a lot of questions. And Paul, at one point, so I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, okay? Just as an idea of what is it that these propositional truths, right? These facts about Christ that they likely would have received. I want to just show these to you real quickly. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. As an example of what is it that Paul had been preaching or others would have been preaching about the person of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> Again, it's to another congregation, but I think we could make a pretty solid case that these are the types of things Paul would have been talking about and those who followed Paul's ministry would have been talking about. Now, uh, ver- uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He then goes on to explain the significance of that and who Christ appeared to after his resurrection. But you say, what is it that they had received? They'd received the truth of the gospel message, propositional truth about the person of Jesus Christ. Make sense, right? So now go back to Colossians just to push this a little bit further and say uh, not just propositions about Christ, right, truth, about, but the person of Christ himself. Look to chapter 1 of Colossians. One of the kind of um, most succinct uh, pictures of who Christ is. We, we talk about this verse often, or this passage often. I talk about this passage often. But just if you're like, well, you know, Gabe, hey, that was the church at Corinth. How do we know that the church, the Colossian church, would have been similar? Uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, let me, let me read just what Paul is saying to them in uh, this, this own book to them. 
talking about the person of Christ. Again, passage you're hopefully familiar with. Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now listen, verse 21, and you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh um, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul was drawing them back to these truths about the person of Jesus Christ. Why is that important to us? Well, I think it's important... Because at times, I think we seek to disciple those who aren't saved, right? Like, I, I, I see it a lot, right? I see it in myself at times. I want unbelievers to start acting like believers, and I kind of forget step one. Step one is, like, are you saved? Like, has salvation actually occurred, right? I was having a conversation uh, just this week with an individual who said, you know, I have a friend who is uh, really uh, wrestling through some stuff and is thinking of uh, converting to Mormonism, and I thought, well, this is interesting, all right? It's an opportunity for this person to kind of invest and help the friend. And I said, well, help your friend understand that, like, Mormonism and Christianity, we might use similar words, but we're not talking about the same person, right? Mormonism might talk about Jesus, but they're not talking about the creator of all things. They're talking about a person who became God, started as human, became God. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus Christ. That's not the God of the Bible, these are different people. And so, again, that's, it was just an illustration to me. Like, we need to make sure that when we receive Christ, we actually receive Christ of the Bible, right? That, that the gospel message, the truth of the gospel, as delivered by Paul in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and the person of Christ as explained like in Colossians chapter 1, that it, that is really what we are standing on, right? That is really the foundation upon which everything is built. Right? So question number one is, have you received Christ? That is the foundation upon which discipleship is built. Right? So Matthew 28, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tyler talked about the, the significance of the Great Commission, the significance of the gospel message. Go and make disciples. You can't go and make disciples if you're not a disciple yourself. Right? And so sometimes we get in the midst of this Christian community and we kind of skip step one or we assume step one has happened, right? And so we try to disciple people to become more like Christ when in reality they've not surrendered their life to Christ. They've not received him. So just a reminder to us from Colossians chapter 2 of the importance of receiving Christ. If you've not received him, let me just kind of press pause, right? If you've not received him, you're not here by accident, <laughs> Right? I mean, you have a great opportunity. We, we looked at uh, the significance of his death, burial, and resurrection already in, in, in communion. We're looking at the significance of that in his word here today. We're going to, in a few minutes, have a baptism which celebrates the work of Christ on the life of a believer, uh, being buried with him, being raised to walk in newness of life. So you're not here by accident. So don't leave today. 
right? If you've not received him without uh, surrendering your life to him, right? To the glory of God. So question one, have you received Christ? That is the starting place. All right, back in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6, Colossians 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, look at the last part of verse 6, so walk in him. This, this idea of walking in Christ is, is pretty common in Paul's writings. All right, I'm not going to ask you to turn to these passages. Let me give you a couple other examples. Galatians 5.16, he says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 2.10 We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So this idea of walking in Christ or walking in him is is not foreign to Paul's writings. It's similar, and we're going to get to this passage, John chapter 15, uh, at the rate we're going, it's going to be a couple years before we get there in our study of the Gospel of John, which is fine, right? But John 15, this is hours before his arrest, hours before he's betrayed, of course. Jesus says to the disciples, abide in me, all right? Remain in me. And if you do, you'll bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, right? So that similar concept of remaining or abiding in Christ is this idea of walking in him. So you say, well, okay, what does that mean? Well, it's this idea of living in Christ, living for Christ. It's you've received this in the past. Now in the present, you need to be doing something. This is an action that we're, be, we're to be doing. All right, so um, I'm, I'm going to today. I, I, I don't apologize, but I'm sorry. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Greek, right? And, and the different tenses and, and different voices a little bit, but Received Christ is, is what's called the, uh, the, uh, the aorist, right? Well, like something that's happened, it's established. Um, so walk in him is not in the aorist, but it's in the present tense to say, this is what you then need to be doing. Because of this reality, you receive Christ. Therefore, active, you need to be walking in him. So it's important that I think we kind of walk through that. But what are we doing now? Um, why would Paul say that? Well, I think at times I've noticed, right, that unfortunately we, we get stuck in this I've received Christ and, and we really don't obey the commands of Christ to walk in him, right? We, we put a lot of stock in like moment of conversion, I was saved, right? Very important, remember? Remember step one, you need to be saved. But then we don't really emphasize sometimes the continual, ongoing act of walking in him. And yet Paul doesn't give us that luxury. Christ doesn't give us that luxury of saying, hey, just receive me. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to do then. Like, no, there's something actually to be doing in the Christian life. This is what a disciple looks like. We are actively walking in him. Uh, again, that concept is pretty, uh, pretty clear in Scripture. Look, uh, again, don't turn there, but James 2.17 uh, faith by itself is dead if it does not have works, okay? Works don't save us, but our faith is evidence in the works that we're doing, right? You've received Christ, walk in him. Uh, Luke 4, 46, this is words of Christ. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why don't you obey my commands? So we, yes, receive Christ, that's the foundation but it's active. There's something that we need to be doing. The Christian life 
is to be lived out in obedience to Christ. That's what a disciple looks like. If you remember, following and learning the, the, the commands of Christ and helping others to do the same, teaching others to do the same. So question one, have you received Christ? Question two, are you walking in him? Because there's a need to walk in him. And so now question three, what does it look like to walk in Christ? Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time here because we're going to walk through verse seven that talks about the significance and looking at what it means to walk in Christ. So Colossians 2, 6 and 7, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And notice four verbs that, that Paul gives us. We're going to walk through each of these four verbs. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So rooted, built up, established, and abounding. That's what, lo- that's what walking in Christ actually looks like. So I'm going to walk through kind of those four dimensions or those four verbs. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to get into um, some verb tenses, some active versus passive voice. Some of you are like, I don't know, this is English class. All right. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't get into all that. I, I failed English. Had to retake it numerous times, right? So uh, we'll walk through this together. But I do think it becomes important both theologically and practically if we look at the way in which these are actually constructed in the original Greek, okay? So first, first dimension, being rooted in Christ. The idea of being rooted, um, uh, you know, agricultural type uh, um, uh, um, example. Wow, I just lost word. All right, agricultural example or metaphor that he gives us. Um, turn with me to Psalm 1 because I think it's a good a uh, good uh, example of this. Again, Psalm 1, probably a familiar passage to you. I'm just going to read the first three verses. Uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. But uh, another example of throughout Scripture where we see these same types of uh, truths being uh, proclaimed, right? So Psalm 1, as I said, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Right? Like a tree planted by streams of water. How, what does it mean to walk in Christ? First of all, it means to be rooted in him. Now, <clears throat> the word rooted in the original Greek is in the perfect tense, okay? Now, I don't expect you to know what that means. Some of you do know what it means. You get extra bonus points, all right? You get bonus points. I-, I had to look up what that means. I was like, I- I'm not quite sure what the significance of that is. But what it means is, it's in the perfect tense. It means it's happened in the past, but it continues through today, all right? Not just something that happened and doesn't affect us. It happened in the past, and it's continuing through today, You were rooted. Again, you would receive Christ. You're rooted in him, and that rooting continues through today, which is good news for us, right? It's not something that uh, we, we, we don't have anymore. That rooting is something that is firm. Paul was saying that these saints had been rooted in Christ in the past, and they're continuing to be rooted in him in the present. Note, though, that the foundation is in Christ. It's a result of what happened in the past, but it doesn't remain in the past It carries through to the present. So it's not just a past reality, it's a present reality in our lives. 
take a second, right? I, I've talked with some of you who said, you know, I, uh, I, sometimes I struggle with kind of with doubts, right? I, I struggle with, um, you know, am I just going through the motions? Did I really receive Christ? Here's what I would challenge you with, right? One is, and it's very common for us to say, well, you know, did you in the past receive Christ? If you received Christ in the past, then you're good, right? You're good. And, and that's not necessarily wrong to say that. But I think theologically we would say, why are we looking just for something that happened in the past, okay? Why don't you look at your life now and say, are you rooted in Christ? You can look right now, right? And if you say, I see no evidence in my life that I'm rooted in Christ, then why are you relying on something that may or may not have happened in the past, right? Look now, are you rooted in Christ? Again, great significance to what happened, but we want to make sure we're not relying on something back then that we think may or may not have happened. Look at your life now. It's, it's in the perfect tense. It happened there, but it continues through today. Do you see evidence of your life being rooted in Christ here this morning? And if not, again, God is faithful. Salvation is offered. Let's have a conversation through the power of God. Okay? So, um, bear with me. Not only is it in the perfect tense, but it's in the passive voice. So now you're like, oh gosh, here we go. Okay? Active versus passive. All right? So I'm not going to poll the audience, right? I'm not going to poll the congregation. What does active versus passive mean? I struggle with these things. The other thing I struggle with is effect and affect. I can never get those right. I, I, just, I can't. I don't know. And one's like, one's a noun, one's a verb. I'm like, that doesn't help. I don't know what that means. All right. So active versus passive. Active means you're doing something. Passive means it's done to you. Okay? That's a very layman's definition of it. All right? This is in the passive voice. Let this sink in. This is in the passive voice. Did I earn my way to being rooted in Did I root myself in Christ? I didn't root myself in Christ. This is not relying upon me to have rooted myself in Christ. This is a work that Christ does. It is done on our behalf. This is not something we do. If it was, I think we would all be in trouble, right? And so that's maybe a larger conversation for another day. But it's in the passive voice. This is done to us. We have been rooted in Christ. It's not something that we are doing. Salvation is a gift from God. Praise God for that, right? It's not something that you have done. You did not plant your seed in Christ. You did not root yourself in him. It is something that he has done. So as we kind of look at this, my question is, if this is something that he has done for us, why are we trying to root ourselves in other things? And, and I say us, right? I, I include myself in this, right? Why am I trying to root myself in maybe my achievements? Maybe I'm rooting myself in my relationships. Maybe I'm rooting myself in my education. Maybe I'm rooting myself in my membership, right? Why are we rooting ourselves in anything else other than Christ? A disciple of Christ who seeks to disciple others, they're going to be rooted in Christ. And a natural outflow of that is that they will be coming, be becoming more like Christ and they'll be helping others to do the same. That's what a disciple looks like. So a challenge for you, a challenge for me, is why do I look to other things? Those other things can be great. Family, career, education, right? 
church. These are great things, but that is not what we are rooted in. We are rooted in Christ. Okay, dimension number two, verb number two, to be built up, all right? So Paul is funny in this a little bit. He uses different metaphors, right? So agriculture, be rooted in Christ, and then he goes right into another metaphor to be built up, right? So this is more of a construction type metaphor. If that works a little bit better for you, then that's great. But to be built up, again, verse seven, built up in him, Okay, so in the original language, okay, to be rooted was the perfect tense, right? Happened in the past, continues today. This is actually a different tense. It's a present tense, all right? So you are now, you are very active. You are being built up. This is something happening now. This is a present reality. Yes, rooted was in the past and continues today. This is something today. Today you are being built up in him. This is what Paul was telling the church, uh, the Colossian church, that you are to be uh, built up, that you be kind of growing, constructed in him. This is actually also in the um, passive voice. So similar, similarly, you're not the one that is building up your faith. Christ is the one that's building up your faith. God is the one who's building up your faith. Uh, we are not the ones who bring about our spiritual growth. Right? What does a disciple of Christ look like? A disciple of Christ is one who God is working in to make you become more Christ-like. Now, there's a posture, I think, that we have. There's a response to that that we have that we're going to get to. But it's ultimately, we would say, our spiritual growth is ultimately something that Christ does. It's not something that we do for ourselves and to ourselves. Which, again, that's a very good thing. That's a very good thing, the fact that Christ is the one doing, us, doing, doing that to us. Um, notice... At the end of this verse, it says, just as you were taught. Now, I, I want to make sure that we don't miss that. I want to get that to that and drive that home here in a little bit. But just as you were taught has that idea of it is passed on to you. So how is it that we are built, being built up? Paul in other passages of Scripture says, hey, some laid a foundation. Others built on that foundation of, of the law and the prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. So he uses this, this type of analogy. But you are passed, these things are passed on to you. These things have been given to you, and Paul is saying that you are to be built up. So, question as we look at this second dimension, not just what are you rooted in, but what are you seeking to build, okay? I mean, big picture we'd say, am I seeking to build God's kingdom or my own kingdom? Huge implications of that, right? When I'm striving for excellence, all right, I got a personality where I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, right? And, and in that, I have to continually ask myself, like, am I doing this because I want Gabe Etzel's name to be like, oh, man, that was really good? Or am I ultimately doing this because I want God to be honored and glorified, right? And so I can't answer that for you, but what are you trying to build up? What are you striving for? You say, well, I, I've grown this business. Are you doing it for your glory or for God's glory? I'm seeking to educate. Are you doing it for your glory or God's glory? What if, what if the entire orientation of our lives was to glorify God by becoming more like Christ and helping others to do the same? And if, if you would say, if that were the case, Gabe, my life would look a little bit different, then I'd say, what are you waiting for? Right? What are you waiting for? Like, there is a building up of our own kingdom and there's a building up of the kingdom of God and consistently through scripture, Christ pushes back against building your own kingdom, right? So what is being built up? What are you building? What are you striving for? Paul talks about this. And again, what does the disciple look like? Those who are being built up in Christ, 
not in ourselves, but in Christ. All right, dimension number three. You have been established. So believers who are rooted up in the past or in Christ, not by their own doing. It's through the work of Christ. It's a passive voice. As a result of this grounding, they are being presently being built up, and they are also being established in the faith. So this is similar to being built up, uh, same uh, tense, same voice. This uh, established in the faith is something that is in the passive voice, is something that is in the present tense. So you're presently being built up. You're not the one building yourself. You are presently being established. You're not the one establishing yourself in the faith. And again, that's good news for us. If we were to establish ourselves, we'd say we wouldn't know what to do. I don't know how to establish myself in Christ. That's a work that only Christ can do. And, and I think that this is really where discipleship comes in. Notice there in verse 7, established in the faith just as you were taught. There's an intentional investment of others to the saints at the church uh, Colossae here, right? The Colossian Christians, an intentional investment in them that they were taught these things. Verse 6, we said, as you received, they had to have received it from someone. Verse 7, just as you were taught, there's this an intentional act. And so when we say what does a disciple look like, it looks like someone who has been taught the truths of Christ and someone who has received the truths of Christ. But that's where that relationship comes in. And so, again, the definition that we use here at CCF is uh, through intentional relationships, what, what I desire for us today, right, is to get a glimpse of what it looks like, and then we have hopefully a hunger for what that, uh, let, let's get in relationships that help bring that about, right? Let's, whether it's through a corporate gathering, a large gathering like this, whether it's through smaller gatherings, but we understand or we would see that uh, a, there is a need for, um, a need for walking in Christ. So established uh, in the faith, Paul would use a... Uh, uh, agricultural metaphor, use a construction one. This is actually more of a legal metaphor, like validated in the faith, right? Established in the faith. And so he's mixing a lot of different metaphors there, which he can do whatever he wants. But I'll simply ask this. What, what are we placing our hope in? What do we want to be established in? Uh, I talk to students a lot. I work over at Liberty. And a lot of times, you know, conversation will go to, you know, what's your, what's your major? What do you want to do? You know, very, very logical thing to be talking about. But ultimately, it's amazing how many students will say, well, I want to do this, but I want to do it because I want to do something else. Like, what's the ultimate hope, right? And a lot of them, uh, they see it as kingdom work, right? Just as we already talked about. Like, I want to do a business, but I want to do it so that I can help others. I, I, I want to go into education, but I don't just want, I want it so I can invest in the lives of others. So we see the significance of being established in Christ, not only, or establishing the faith, not only for ourselves, but being able to help others as well. So as we talk about this third dimension, I say, what, what are you hoping for? What are you placing your hope in? What are you established in? Paul talks about being established in the faith, uh, the truths of scripture, the doctrinal uh, significance, as we talked about last week, and that is my hope for you. And then finally, I want to talk about dimension four. Rooted and built up in, uh, in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and then verb number four, abounding in thanksgiving. Because of the rooting, because of the being built up, because of the being established, Paul then says the result of that will be that you are abounding in thanksgiving, the fourth verb that he uses here. And we're going to throw a little uh, curveball here. Paul does. And we know the other ones have been uh, a, 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 the present tense, right? Happening now. Passive. You don't 
root yourself. You don't build yourself up. You don't establish yourself. But abounding is actually in the active voice. This is our response to what Christ has done. Okay? It's in the perfect, right? So it's now. Now, not just in the past, but now you abound in thanksgiving. But it is what you do. It is active. It is something that you are doing. Um, you know, what, what a tremendous picture of the only thing we can do based on the work of Christ that we've received, being rooted in him, being uh, built up, being established. What's our only response? Thank you, Jesus. Like, literally, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. I've got nothing. I've got nothing except gratitude for what you have done. So let me, let me push into this one a little bit because I, I would have probably written this differently had I been writing this and had I not been led by the Spirit, right? Thank God that His Spirit led Paul to write this, right? So, hey, I'm, I'm rooted. I'm built up. I'm established. Therefore, I'm abounding in arrogance, I'm abounding in confidence. I'm abounding in my own abilities, right? Consistently throughout Scripture, we see a theme of humility. We see a theme of thankfulness, right? Not a theme of superiority. Two ends of the spectrum. Let me, let me spend just a couple minutes here. Two ends of the spectrum that I unfortunately see in my own life and I see in the lives of others and I'll, I'll go like this so no one thinks that I'm talking just about them, right? Two ends of the spectrum of our response to the Christian life. At one end of the spectrum is we love sermons like last week to talk about doctrine. We love them, right? Because we love doctrine. Doctrine's so good, okay? Doctrine's so good. And we are so right in our understanding of doctrine. Although for 2,000 years, We've discussed it, but we've got it. Let me, I mean, I, we've got it, okay? And, and I, I won't pick on anyone in particular, right? But, you know, it, it, it's sometimes, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. it's It's sometimes the first-year seminary students who are the most right, okay? And I don't say that just to get last, but, like, it like legitimately, and I love the passion. Like, I love the passion because they're passionate about God's Word. But I hate the fact that they are so right, Okay? Now, by year three, the rightness of year one will be changed to the rightness of year three, but that is totally lost sometimes on them. But we have on one end of the spectrum those who are just so passionate about doctrine that they're so convinced they're right in every area that that abounding in thanksgiving and gratitude for what Christ has done is sometimes lost, right? The fact that God's the one that rooted. God's the one that built up. God's the one that established. That gets lost sometimes. And I'll say on us, I'll include myself in there at times, right? But there's an arrogance, a superiority. Oh, well, look at those people who don't understand as much as I do, right? That's the mindset that we have. And I think Paul pushes back against that, not just in this passage, but in other passages. It says, you need to abound in thanksgiving, Okay? Not in your own ability, which, oh, by the way, that intellectual ability was given to you by God. Okay, So abound in thanksgiving that he gave you a high IQ. Oh, your work ethic's great. Guess, guess who gave you that? Guess who gave you the ability to work? 
Okay? So that's one in the spectrum. The other in the spectrum, which to me is equally frustrating, is kind of that end of the spectrum that is like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I just know what the pastor says. Uh, I, I just read a little book about it. Uh, I, just, I know what the book says. Um, so at this end, you've got the Israelites who forgot that God delivered them into the promised land and became arrogant. At this end of the spectrum, you've got the, the babies who still need milk and, and can't feed themselves, right? Both, I would say, are inaccurate, unbiblical responses to the work that God has done in our lives. Recognize that God is doing the work and have our response be that of gratitude. One commentator basically said, you know, the litmus test of spiritual character is gratitude. Um, When I see people with a sense of entitlement, that's about all I need to know, right? That's about all I need to know about where they are in their spiritual walk. But, but guess what's helpful as we enter into relationships with one another and seek to encourage one another? When someone who cares about me and my growth says, hey, Gabe, I, when I see entitlement in you, that's about all I need to know about where you're at right now. And I hopefully thank them for that. It hurts, right? Stings a little bit, right? But the litmus test of spiritual character is the idea of gratitude. May we be known, right? There are many things a congregation can be known for, May we be known, yes, as people of the book, yes, that take doctrine important, that take discipleship important, right? That, that, that we see that as a priority and our response to what Christ has done is overwhelming gratitude. That's the type of people we want to be. And I believe that's what Paul calls us to be through the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me kind of summarize this a little bit for us, right? Just kind of to encapsulate, it's not necessarily original to me. I stole some stuff from some commentaries. So if you like it, give them credit. If you don't like it, blame me. It's basically what they say. Like a tree with deep roots and rich soil, believers have been firmly rooted in Christ. That eternal planning took place at salvation, in perfect tense, having been firmly rooted. Christ then became the source of all spiritual nourishment, growth, and fruit. As we walk in Christ, we're now being built up in him. Connotates the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ being built up. In the present tense, that indicates continuous action. Being firmly rooted in Christ and growing in him results in believers being established in their faith. That's passive, established, indicates that it's God who will establish believers. Having such a firm foundation for faith based on walking in Christ is imperative for a healthy Christian life. All of this leads to our response which is an abundance of gratitude for the person and work of Christ. That's what a disciple looks like. Someone who recognizes what Christ has done, is growing to become more like Christ, and is overflowing with thankfulness, with gratitude for what Christ has done. That's what I think we need to be here at CCF. That's what motivates us to be at the gathering. That's what motivates us to invest in one another in a smaller setting. That's what motivates us to have coffee with one another or breakfast or whatever it is, have these conversations that we can help others to do the same. So that's my prayer for us. Hopefully that's your prayer as well, that we would be rooted, that we would be built up, established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your work this morning, God. I thank you for your text. 
God, I thank you for an opportunity to talk through the significance of walking in you. God, I pray that, uh, that this local assembly of believers, God, would take seriously your commands to love you, to love others well. God, but may we be known as a grateful people. May we be known, God, who, yes, take you seriously, but we are selfless and humble in the way that we approach you and the way that we approach others. Thank you, God, for time together this morning to be studying your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.